You know, the most important question that a person can ever ask or answer is, who is Jesus? And the reason I say that is because the ramifications of your answer are absolutely huge, absolutely huge. Now, whether you're currently a follower of Jesus or not, I think if you're being objective, anyone would have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ has made a huge impact on this world. I looked it up this week because I was just curious, and currently, according to a number of different websites, there are currently over 2.4 billion professing Christians in the world. Think about that. Staggering, isn't it? These are men and women and young people who would say, Jesus Christ has made a difference in my life. I've reoriented my whole life around him, his values, and my desire is to please him. Now, how we do pleasing him is a whole different conversation. But think about that. 2.4 billion are alive today on planet Earth who say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Now, that fact alone makes it a worthy question. Who is Jesus? But if you're trying to figure out who someone is, I don't think you want to start with their critics. You probably don't even want to start with their fans or their followers. Whoever he or she is, if you're trying to get to know them, I think a great starting point is, what does that person say about herself or himself, and does their life back it up? Well, we begin this brand new journey today in John's gospel, that's the fourth book into your New Testament, and we're simply calling it, I am. And here's why. Because Jesus, this is, this is so interesting. In John's gospel, Jesus makes seven provocative statements that all begin with that phrase, I am. I want you to see them right up front as we start on this journey together. Here they are. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. We're gonna unpack that next week and all that that means. I'm the door, or as some translations say, the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. We're gonna look at that on Easter Sunday morning. And then, well, here's a controversial statement. Would you agree? I am the way and the truth and the life. I mean, come on. Is there any more offensive statement that someone could make in our pluralistic world than that statement? And yet we're gonna look at it and try to fairly unpack what it means. And then finally, Jesus said, I am the true vine. And over the next several weeks, we're gonna unpack each of those. Now, that phrase, I am, is really interesting. If you've read the Bible much, you, you may remember that old story in the book of Exodus where Moses, one of God's people that he used in a huge way, Moses asked God, who are you really? And God's answer to Moses was, I am who I am. So when you go on this task I'm giving you 
to release my people from Egypt, from bondage. And if anybody asks you who sent you on this mission, you tell them, I am sent me. That's what God said to Moses. It's kind of interesting that God defined himself not as I was, not I will be, but I am. It says something about the eternal present nature of God. He lives outside of time and space. He lives in the eternal now. Now watch this, watch this, this is so important. Jesus comes along centuries later, later as he's incarnated into this world, born in Bethlehem, growing up in Nazareth, starts his public ministry, and he declares, watch this, he declares, I am. Let's look at John chapter eight, verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Is he just being weird? Is that just some sort of strange mystical statement? No, no. Jesus is claiming divinity. Uh, sometimes today you'll hear people say, modern people, Jesus never claimed to be divine. Oh, yes, he did. And the religious leaders of his day got it clearly. They understood that Jesus was claiming divinity here. And that's why they wanted to kill him <laughs> because they understood very well what he was claiming and they thought it was blasphemy. So, as we look at these seven I am statements over the next several weeks, it's really critical in understanding who Jesus Christ is. And if you're on a journey of exploration, wow, you are at the right place at the right time. In fact, I would even dare to say that God has brought you here for such a moment as this. Because Jesus Christ is the essential content of the Christian life. What do I mean by that? What we're gonna learn is that Jesus didn't just say, I'll feed you the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He didn't just say, I'll flip a switch of light on for you so that you can see. No, he said, I am the light of the world. He didn't just say, I will open a door for you in your life. He said, I am the door. He didn't just say, I'll show you the way. He said, I am the way, and so on, and so on, and so on. And friends, that makes all the difference because Christianity is not just another religion. It's not just an ethical system, a way of living life. It's not just a philosophical mindset. Please hear this part very carefully today. You see, each of these seven things that we're gonna explore that Jesus says about himself requires our participation. We're not, we're not about to engage for a number of weeks in just some highfalutin sort of mental exercise. No, no, no. Every single I am statement of Jesus requires us to get involved. We participate in the life of Jesus by partaking of that living bread the bread of life. We become a part of what Jesus is doing by walking in the light. We follow him by allowing him deliberately to be our good shepherd and so on and so forth. Now, 
I'm going to learn a lot in this series. I'll tell you that right now because I checked my records carefully, and even though I've been preaching for decades, I've never preached a series on these I am statements. So this is new ground for me, and I think it will be for many of you. It's going to be an exciting journey. Let's take it together. So today, that first statement, I am the bread of life. Let's see the two verses where it appears. They're both in John's gospel, chapter six. First, verse 35, then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in verse 48, it's said in just a pithy fashion, verse 48, I am the bread of life. Now, most of you, if you've been in church, but you've probably heard about the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of the awesome miracles that Jesus did where he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, just a, a little boy's lunch, basically, and it was multiplied. Well, that miracle is contained in all four gospels, but do you know what happened after that? It's interesting. After that miracle, if you read on it says the people followed him around the lake and the next day, guess what? They had had a wonderful meal the day before. They wanted Jesus to feed them breakfast also. They were ready to crown him as king, but Jesus shocked them. He refused to feed them again. <laughs> he was not going to be a bread messiah. And then we read in verse 26 here, an interesting dialogue that went on. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me. But then he speaks to their motives, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, the people were kind of puzzled at this point. Dude, as we would say, dude, wait a minute, you're not gonna feed us again? Hey, we're bummed about that, Jesus, because Moses gave our forefathers manna in the desert. Look, if you just give us some manna here, we would gladly eat it, Jesus. Well, the dialogue goes on in verse 30. So they ask him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Prove yourself here. Buddy, do a trick or two. What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He's referring now to himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then just moments later, he makes this statement again, verse 35, that is our key theme for today. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. And at this, the people kind of fell into grumbling. What is this bread of life about? We know this guy. How can he make claims like this? We know his mom and dad. We know he grew up in a podunk town named Nazareth. 
Who does he think he is? And so as you can see, this question, who is Jesus, is not a new one at all, but it is still as important as it ever was. So in the balance of our time, I want to ask you to consider three declarations right out of this passage, three principles that are super relevant for any one of us when we're trying to consider what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. Here's declaration number one that I'd ask you to think about with me. God created humans with a soul that hungers for God. Now, I want you to think about that with me. When Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, humans do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus made it clear up front, there is a spiritual hunger in every soul that needs to be fed. One of the most brilliant minds who's ever lived was a Frenchman named Rene Pascal. He did some groundbreaking work in scientific experiments that is still talked about in classrooms today. But Pascal said some amazing things. He was a devoted Christ follower. And he made this statement. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum. It's interesting that he did experiments in science on vacuums. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that only God can fill. And I believe Pascal is absolutely right because I believe the biblical data backs that up. Well, let me give you another quote from a great theologian named Augustine. Many believe the greatest theologian who's ever lived. He said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless, restless, until they find their rest in you. And those are absolutely true statements. We churn inside. We seek answers. We're looking for anything that can satisfy that hunger, that void that's in our heart. Jesus met a young guy that if he were alive today, he would be on the front of GQ magazine. He would be celebrated in the tabloids. He would be on all kinds of news feeds. You'd see him on the talk shows. We call him the rich young ruler. And if I could paraphrase his conversation with Jesus, paraphrase, loose paraphrase, Jesus, you know what? I've been keeping commandment after commandment after commandment, and I'm kind of exhausted, to be honest, I've jumped through all these religious hoops, Jesus, but something is still lacking. I've not found what I'm looking for. What is it, Jesus, that's gonna fill that need in my life? Now, think about this guy. This guy had everything the world wants. He was young. He was probably handsome. He had youth on his side, but he also had power. This guy had money. I mean, he was wealthy, but he knew something was missing. I believe I'm speaking to many of you right now, and that kind of describes you, quite honestly. You've got just about everything this world can offer. Some of you have a great education. You've had 
a number of privileges in your life. Perhaps you grew up in a family of prominence and you've got a pedigree. Or maybe you're a self-made person, so to speak, and you've just worked awfully hard and you've kind of been on the grind every day just trying to get ahead and climb the ladder of success. And, And you know what? You are blessed with an amazing network. Oh, my goodness. The relationships you have, the resources, it's unbelievable. You're smart, but you still haven't found something to fill that void in your soul. The psalmist said, my soul thirsts for the living God, and now listen, when that hunger is not satisfied, when that thirst is not quenched for God, that God alone can fill, watch this, people will believe all kinds of bizarre things, and they will do all kinds of bizarre things in order to try to fill that void and satisfy that hunger. We have a number of fitness experts in our congregation, men and women who live the life of fitness, who many of them are personal trainers and that kind of thing. They are healthy. They are fit. Amazing. I've heard a number of them say this. You know what? If you really want to be fit, if you want to live a healthy life, you better have some good food nearby at all times some healthy snacks, some food you can get to. Because here's the problem. When you allow yourself to get ravenously hungry, guess what? You're gonna reach for some junk food. And we all know that's true, don't we? So have some healthy options around. And people who are spiritually hungry will try and satisfy those desires in all the wrong places. About 100 years ago, There was an incredible author named G.K. Chesterton who wrote more than anyone else in his day. He was a prolific writer. You can still get many of his books today. They're still in print. And Chesterton made a statement that seemed scandalous in his day. Many people really critiqued him for saying that. I'm gonna tell you what he said. G.K. Chesterton said, a man going into a brothel is looking for God. A man going into a brothel is looking for a God. You go, what in the world did he mean by that? He's talking about that hunger in the heart. He's looking to satisfy that hunger, but he's doing it in all the wrong ways and all the wrong places, and it's never gonna work. Long ago, God spoke a powerful message through his prophet Amos And it's a message that's so relevant today. I want you to see what he said in the little book of Amos in the Old Testament. He said, the days are coming, and I believe they're upon us big time right now, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. He goes on. He said, in that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. 
And I believe as you look around our world today, what you see is that that is so real. People are looking at all kinds of things. They're staggering around, as it were, looking for something that will quench their spiritual thirst and satisfy their spiritual appetite. But they're looking at all the wrong places. Back in 1988, I took a trip I'll never forget to the Philippines, wonderful country. Oh, we had so many experiences that will go with me forever. I went with a couple of colleagues and I preached 23 times over a two-week period. Some days we'd preach two or three times a day. We preached in a couple of churches, but mostly, mostly we took the gospel to where the people were. It was amazing. We preached in prisons. We preached in open air meetings out on the streets. It was, we saw thousands of people profess faith in Jesus Christ. But here's where I'm going with this. Some days we would drive for two to three hours one way to get to remote mountain barrios, places where the people had heard about Jesus but many of them had rejected the gospel message. And here's what made me sad. There were totem poles. Literally, you've heard about them. Have you ever seen a totem pole in real life? Have you seen a totem pole? It's, a, it's an object of worship or through which people think they're worshiping whatever their false gods are. And there were people in these remote places bowing down to these totem poles thinking that somehow these false gods were gonna give them favor. And it's just another reminder of how restless our souls are until they rest in God. We'll do all kinds of bizarre things, but it's not just people in remote jungles. Right here in America, it's happening. Right here in America. I checked on the website of the Church of Scientology this week. Have you heard of it? No doubt you have. Many prominent people in Hollywood are a part of the Church of Scientology. And oh, I know they've had their turmoil. I know they've had many people defect in the past years. They've had lawsuits, all kinds of, but the Church of Scientology still boasts up to 15 million members, started years ago by L. Ron Hubbard, the founder. And if you read what they believe. They basically dismiss the idea of sin. It's very much steeped in human pride. It basically is a message that says we can solve all of our problems completely on our own. I want to read to you a section. I'm going to quote it now, word for word, directly from the Church of Scientology website founded by the late L. Ron Hubbard. What is true for you is what you have observed yourself. And when you lose that, you've lost everything. What is personal integrity? Personal integrity is knowing what you know. What you know is what you know. And to have the courage to know and say what you have observed, and that is integrity, and there is no other integrity. Of course, we can talk about honor, truth, nobility, all these things as esoteric terms. But I think they would all be covered very well if what we really observed was what we observed, that we took care to observe what we are, were observing, that we always observed 
to observe. Now, I could go on reading, but it doesn't get any better than that. That's the highlight right there, okay? What kind of pseudo-intellectual nonsense is this? And yet millions of people, millions of people are clamoring, thinking, that's the answer, that's the answer. Listen, God created humans with a soul that hungers for God. But when we reject the truth, we will do all kinds of bizarre things and believe bizarre things in order to fill that void in the soul. As the Apostle Paul put it so eloquently, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And that describes a person who's searching in all the wrong places and all the wrong things to satisfy that hunger. But very quickly now, and I'm gonna spend a lot less time on these following statements. Very quickly, I want you to consider a second thing. And that is that Christ alone can satisfy the spiritual hunger that gnaws at our soul. You see, our theme today is that Jesus is the bread of life. And if you're on a journey of exploration as a follower of his, I would commend Jesus to you. I do it unashamedly, I do it confidently, and I do it based on my own experience and the experience of thousands of others that I know who have found Jesus to be the bread of life. I heard Billy Graham while he was alive, I heard him say, many, many times that whenever he goes to speak to someone, no matter where he is in the world, there are certain things he assumes. Doesn't matter where they are, old, young, rich, poor, no matter what nation in the world, he assumes several things. One of those things he assumes is that they have a need for forgiveness of sin and that they feel that need. In other words, they're feeling some level of guilt about that. Second, that they have a need for hope beyond the grave. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that one out of every one person dies. So my goodness, we better have some sense of hope when this life is over, as we know it here on planet Earth, what then? What then? Do we have hope for life beyond the grave? Everybody, Billy Graham said, that he's ever talked to or known has some desire for hope beyond the grave. And third, the desire for real meaning in life. Nobody, nobody wants to feel like a rat on a wheel. Just churning, churning, running, running, but for no purpose. And here's the good news today. If your soul is hungry, I want you to know that the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross can cleanse you of all sin, give you complete assurance that you're forgiven. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave can give you hope for life beyond the grave because Jesus conquered death. And he says, because I live, you will live also. So he can give you hope for life beyond the grave. And third, the indwelling presence 
of the Holy Spirit can give meaning to every single day. You say, well, where do these happy Christians come get off? I mean, where does all this joy come from? That, I hear them talking about all this abundant life. That's where they get it. They're feasting on Jesus. <laughs> He's forgiven their sin. He's given them hope for life beyond the grave. He's given meaning to every moment of their lives, and that's why they're so joyful. Because if they live daily with that reality in mind, my goodness, <laughs> it changes your perspective on everything. I like what Dell Evans said years ago. I searched all my life for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I found what I was really looking for at the foot of the cross. And I recommend Jesus Christ to you if you're on a search in fact, I would say to you that in these coming weeks as we explore all of these I am statements of Jesus, I don't know of a better time, a better place, a better circumstance for you to continue exploring who Jesus really is. Because he himself is gonna tell us and oh, we're gonna learn so much together. But here's the final declaration as we wrap up today. Life as a Christ follower is a continual feast a continual feast. Have you ever had the experience at Thanksgiving like I have where you just kind of, I guess I'll confess it, I always eat too much. Anybody with me on this? I always eat way too much. Okay, so, so let me describe what it looks like for me, all right? I, 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 I just gorge myself on turkey or ham or whatever we're having, and then I, I don't touch the salad. I don't want any of that at that point. No salad, please. Thank you very much. I like mashed potatoes and gravy. Yeah, mashed potatoes and gravy. Maybe some fresh homemade biscuits, you know, something like that. And some, some beans, but beans with bacon bits in them. You know what I'm saying? To really make them taste good. I can sense you're with me on this. And, and then you know what I like for dessert? I love pecan pie. Oh, man pecan pie that's been warmed up just a little bit and some fresh ice cream put right on top of that. It's beginning to melt. Oh, goodness. And I eat all that. And you know what I say? I am so full, I will never eat again in my life. <laughs> but four or five hours later, I changed my story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'll walk in the kitchen and go, we got anything to eat in here? I mean, I am starving to death. Now, guess what? That's a healthy appetite. And the same is true spiritually. Healthy disciples keep hungering for more. And here's what I'm saying to you. When you follow Jesus Christ, it's not just about a moment where you pray a little prayer and get your sins forgiven and then it's all over. No, I'm saying to you, following Jesus is a continual feast. The bread of life just keeps on nourishing your soul. How does he do that? There's so many ways. I, can't, I don't even have time to scratch the surface. But one of them is through his word, the scriptures. As the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 
chapter two, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And that's why you hear us constantly urging you to get some devotional habits, to get the habit of reading scripture on a regular basis, of allowing God to feed you through his word. But in closing, oh, so many ways, but there's one other way I wanna mention that God feeds us, and that is when we help nourish others, we ourselves get nourished. Remember in John chapter four where Jesus met a woman at the well in Sychar in Samaria? And his disciples went into town to buy some food and Jesus had this meaningful dialogue with this woman at the well. And when his disciples came back, they brought the food back and Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish or accomplish his work. Wow. Do you know that's true for a growing disciple of Jesus? As we do his work, we get nourished. As we nourish others, he nourishes us. I've heard it over and over again from Christians I respect. Yeah, I went to visit that person in the hospital and I went to encourage them but I got encouraged. Yeah, I went to help those people who had that catastrophe happen, that awful thing, and I went to try to be an encouragement to them. I went to try to help, but you know what? It just filled my soul up, and I got way more than I gave. I've heard it over and over and over again. Yeah, I sat down with my friend who's really going through an incredibly hard time, and I thought, man, I just want to be there for her. I just want to be able to help. But you know what? As I tried to pour into her, God poured into me. And one of the ways that God nourishes us, dear brothers and sisters, is when we look to others and serve them, God fills our soul. So as I close today, let me ask you this. Are you feasting on the bread of life? <laughs> I said, I said, son, I, I didn't plan to say this, so I hope this comes out okay. I said to Debbie yesterday, I said, honey, I just want you to know I am happier than I've ever been. I'm more joyful. My relationship with the Lord is healthier than it's ever been, praise God. I am, I tell you, life is just getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the years go by. I just want you to know life is awesome right now. You know why I can say that? It's not because I'm anything. I'm, I'm garbage. It's because Jesus is the bread of life. And as I feast on him, he fills me up daily. But I have to choose that. I have to cooperate. I have to participate in that. And when we do, brothers and sisters, life following Jesus is a continual feast. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus is the bread of life and that we can live with a continual feast, just full 
of your goodness, your joy, your righteousness, all these things that you give us. We didn't earn any of it. You give it to us by grace. Thank you, thank you, thank thank you. And as I said to Deb, boy, it's just gratitude, gratitude, gratitude is all I have. That's my only message these days. Grateful to the Lord for what he's done and what he's doing. So I pray in these moments, as we continue in worship, that Lord, for those that have never tasted the bread of life, they've never tasted to see that the Lord is good, that this would be the moment you bring them to say yes to you, to say yes to your life. And Father, I pray that you'd meet them right where they are. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.